You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. So if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, we've been looking uh, line by line at the Lord's Prayer. We're continuing our reading through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, and before we dig in, let's start by reading the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today we're going to look at what the Bible says about forgiveness. In verses 12 and then again in 14 and 15, the title of the message is Forgive Us As We Forgive. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. If not, the scriptures will be on the screen in a second. But just as a reminder, during this series, we're unpacking three questions every week. So we've been asking, first, what does this tell us about God? Second, What does this tell us about us? And third, how can we pray this more faithfully? So with those in mind, let's turn our attention again to these verses. So Matthew 12, 6, 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then in 14 and 15, this gets unpacked a little bit more later. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. I don't know about you, but that feels very weighty to me. One reason it feels weighty is because at first glance, it can read as though our forgiveness from God is conditional on whether or not we forgive others. As though somehow our salvation is in jeopardy based on whether or not we forgive those who sinned against us. For that reason, it is important that we start First, look at these verses with a clear understanding of who God is. So what do these verses tell us about God? They tell us that God is an endlessly merciful and forgiving Father. The Father made forgiveness to be the way that we are made right with him. He sent his son Jesus to willfully offer his life to pay the debt of our sins. Theologians call this justification. This justification has been made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And it opened up a pathway for us to be in right relationship with God, despite all of our flaws. This justification means eternal forgiveness. While eternal forgiveness is a demonstration of God's endless mercy, these verses in Matthew 6 aren't really pointing to that form of forgiveness. Instead, they're inviting us to a more active day-to-day expression of forgiveness. In addition to just the one-time justification that Jesus accomplishes on our behalf, he also invites us into a daily process of becoming more and more like him. This is what theologians call sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing work of God's spirit making us like him. Unlike our justification, that is the work of God alone, our sanctification is something that we actually get to participate in with God. 
Every day, with the help of God's Spirit, empowered by God's grace, we slowly conform our lives to that of Jesus' life. Jesus teaches us to pray for our forgiveness through this lens of our sanctification. This is the daily form of forgiveness that these verses are describing. So think about it like this. Um, If you don't know me, I really like houseplants a lot. Um, I'm pretty good at propagating all sorts of houseplants, and I've definitely cultivated more than I've killed, which is something I'm probably a little too proud of. Uh, I've, <laughs> I have a lot of house plants, so many that when I leave town, I need a, a house sitter. And if I ever hear you say that you can't keep a house plant alive, you'll probably find one on your doorstep because I consider that to be a challenge. <laughs> I, I think the truth is you just have to find the one right one for you. Here's the irony, though. If you looked at my yard right now, you'd pretty quickly see that my skills with plants are very limited to indoor conditions. It's humbling, and it's bad. So bad that I had to call in Mike Morey's professional landscaping skills for backup (laughs) to try to tackle the mess I made in my yard. Sure, there's weather, but that's not really the problem. Most of my landscaping is actually pretty drought tolerant. The problem is the weeds. The weeds suffocate the plants I intend to have flourishing in my yard. The problem with the weeds is that they're relentless. Some of them have grown taller than me. They grow faster, they need less water, and the worst part is I'm pretty sure they never truly die no matter what you do to kill them. So take it from me, if you don't maintain the weed population in your yard, they will own your yard faster than you think. Asking the Father for daily forgiveness is kind of like pulling weeds in the yard. The eternal forgiveness Jesus gives us when we are justified is like having your favorite makeover show give you a new house with a beautiful landscape. Asking the Father for daily forgiveness is part of our sanctification, and that's more like pulling weeds. It's part of how we partner with the Holy Spirit to keep the yard healthy. So whether or not you pull the weeds doesn't really change whether or not you own the property, but it does determine the health of your yard. These verses are describing a similar relationship. Whether or not you pray for daily forgiveness is an indicator of the health of your soul. God is so endlessly merciful in his forgiveness that he not only offers this eternal forgiveness, but also this daily forgiveness to keep us growing to be better, more Jesus-like humans. And the good news is, Lamentations 3.22 tells us his mercies never end. So the fact that God is endlessly merciful becomes especially relevant when we consider the second question. What do these verses say about us? They tell us that receiving God's mercy and forgiveness changes who we are and allows us to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. I think Eugene Peterson captures this really well in the message version. So in verse 12, he says, Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. And then verses uh, 14 and 15, he says, In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. One piece I really appreciate about these verses is that Eugene's points to the source of our ability to forgive. Because we are forgiven by God, we can in turn forgive others. It's been said, forgiven people forgive people. 
This is so important because notice that Jesus is not asking us to do something that's contrary to our own nature. Jesus died on the cross for the express purpose of extending forgiveness to you and I. If we were to wear our identity on our chest, it would read, forgiven. That's who we are. To forgive others is just to respond out of our identity of being forgiven. Part of how we keep this identity front of mind is by daily asking God to forgive any of the ways we rebel against his good will for our lives. This is essential because it can be really hard for us to feel the weight of our own sin. When someone sins toward us, we're very sensitive to the consequences of those sins. Yet when we sin toward someone else, we don't always feel the weight of the consequences of that sin. As a result, it's much easier for us to feel the weight of someone else's sin toward us than it is for us to feel the sin we've committed toward God and others. So let me give you a very simple but probably really silly example that nonetheless makes this point. When I moved to Utah, one of the things I was definitely not prepared for was the driving. <laughs> I lived in about six or seven states, but Utah for sure takes the cake on odd driving behavior, especially when it comes to merging. This recently came to a head for me on Wednesday of this past week. I had to go to Trader Joe's to get some snack food for a work event that we were hosting, which is usually a pretty breezy, uneventful nine to 11 minute drive from my house to the Trader Joe's parking lot. But on Wednesday, it was different. The problem was the highway was completely stopped. We were crawling. And then when I finally got off the highway, it seemed that every other road was shut down or down to one lane. It was maddening. I learned later that it was because President Biden had landed at the Salt Lake City Airport just minutes before I left my house, which also happens to be by the Salt Lake City Airport. This caused sheer mayhem in Salt Lake City downtown and turned my journey into what felt like 73 minutes of the Hunger Games. With all the traffic and one-lane roads, there's a lot of merging required. I'm told that merging is supposed to function like a zipper. Every other car smoothly goes into the new lane, taking their place. Theoretically, that's a great idea. Practically, I watched traffic on Wednesday as drivers would race ahead into their, in their lane until it ended and then force their way into the lane that was available. They would cut off cars, and then it also seemed that those drivers wouldn't give an inch to anybody getting in front of them in their lane when it was their turn to let someone in. All of us who drive are guilty of this kind of behavior. We've had these two shared experiences. We've cut someone off while merging, and we've been cut off while merging. But think about what happens inside of you when you cut someone off. Usually we immediately jump to internal justifications for why it was necessary, or maybe accidental, or any of the million reasons that we needed to be that driver that day. But when someone cuts us off, we're prone to assume no justification. And sometimes we do everything we can to prevent their, them from taking what is probably their rightful place in this magical idea of, a, of merging like a zipper. My point is simply this. When we do the cutting off, we expect understanding and mercy. Yet when we are cut off, we tend to extend none of that. The reason? We feel the weight differently. We employ that same tendency and thinking 
in all aspects of our life, including our own sin. We minimize that lie we told to cover up our mistake and avoid confrontation. We dismiss the judgmental and demeaning thoughts we had about that person who got the promotion we didn't. We brush off the harsh comment we made to our kid as harmless because we were just kidding. We say things like, it wasn't that bad, or they did something worse, or I didn't mean it, as if that justifies what we did. But the problem is, it's all sin. One of the practices Jesus has given us to help keep this front of mind daily is confession and asking God to forgive us. Remember that receiving God's mercy and forgiveness changes who we are and allows us to extend forgiveness to others. And this truth brings us to our final question. How can we pray this more faithfully? If we believe God is endlessly merciful and we feel the weight of our own sin, we become repentant and pray for forgiveness. So as part of my studies in graduate school, I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Bob Enright who is uh, the founder of the field of forgiveness science or the study of forgiveness. I completed my master's thesis on forgiveness, created curricula and taught forgiveness, and uh, I've learned a lot about forgiveness over that time, especially in countries and communities that are segregated and war-torn, dealing with historical traumas of some kind. I share that because I do understand that this topic is difficult. I understand that when we apply it in cases of abuse or trauma, or in my case, we were applying it in context of war, it's complicated and it's painful. I'm in no way trying to minimize any sort of experience that you've had in your own life. But I do wanna bring some clarity to this conversation. One of the biggest confusions that has arisen around forgiveness is about what it means in, in regard to our relationship to the person who hurt us. Most often, forgiveness gets conflated with reconciliation. So because of that, many people tend to have the misconception that if they forgive, they must re-enter the relationship exactly as if nothing had happened. Forgive and forget is probably one of the most popular expressions of this misconception. There are two problems with this. First, it isn't biblical. Just because it sounds noble doesn't mean God actually said this. And two, these types of misconceptions can actually prevent us from experiencing the healing and repair forgiveness and repentance enable. So let's clarify what forgiveness actually is in the, in the scriptures. So we see forgiveness has two parts. The first is a vertical process. So the vertical process is between you and God you're releasing the offender for the consequences of the offense in your heart. It does not involve the offender. So that's something you can do daily. That's something between you and God. The second part is a horizontal process. This happens when the one who offends repents for the offense that they committed. When and only when this repentance happens can there be repair in relationship. That repair is reconciliation. This means that forgiveness heals our hearts and repentance repairs relationships. Forgiveness heals our hearts and repentance repairs relationships. So please allow me to forgive, free you from the unbiblical burden that says forgiveness demands that you keep poisonous people in your life. 
You can forgive without being reconciled. Reconciliation can and should be our desire as Christians. But if there's no repentance, there simply can't be reconciliation. You don't have to remain in unsafe relationships where you are constantly wounded in the same ways by the same person with zero remorse. Now, just before we move on from this, I want to say that I do understand this is terribly complicated. The subject and practice of forgiveness can bring up a lot, and it's impossible to perfectly nuance this in one sermon. So if this stirs up anything for you, I really recommend that you reach out to Pastor Ryan, as I know he would love to help you discern your way through those emotions and feelings. All that being said, here's our big idea. Repentance repairs relationship with God and with one another. In addition to thinking about your practice of forgiving, I invite you to consider your practice of repentance. These verses not only highlight our need to forgive, but also our need to be forgiven. What sins, offenses, injuries have you caused? Where do you need to ask for forgiveness from God and perhaps other people? It can be so easy for us to be fixated on the hurt done to us that we can also forget we are offenders. By feeling the weight of our own sin and debt with God, we should be compelled to repent and ask for forgiveness for ourselves from God and others. And the good news is, relationship can be fully restored when we do repent. Repentance can help us to repair our relationship with God and with one another. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time this morning to examine your word together. Thank you for your endless mercy and your endless forgiveness, that no matter how much we mess up, you extend mercy and forgiveness. Help us to receive this mercy you have for us and to take steps toward extending that mercy to others. Give us the time and space this week to consider our own areas of repentance and need for forgiveness. I pray that we would be faithful in this practice of repentance and that it would be, bring healing to the relationships across our community. In Jesus' name, amen.